title of the message this morning is One Life to Live, One Life to Give. One Life to Live, One Life to Give. And it's just the first part of a couple messages I want to preach on this topic of giving everything to God. I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you hear the phrase one life to live, one life to give, but really for me it's my credo. It's, it's what I believe that God has called me here for. It's a principle by which I've strived to live my life, not perfectly at it, but I've strived to live my life for the Lord. Um, in a moment, I want to share my story. Um, probably more than a preaching message this morning, it's going to be more of a story this morning. Um, but I want to share my thoughts. Uh, I want to share a few things, but I want you to understand a couple things first. Uh, first, what I'm about to share is my story. It's mine. And as such, God may not work in your life the same way that he has chosen to work in my life. So as you're hearing my story, remember that's, that's his. Um, so don't feel like you have to have the same story. Um, I know for many years, people used to always say, well, um, I don't really have much of a story. I, I believe that if, if Jesus Christ has done a work in your life, I don't care what age, you have a story. And uh, you have a story to share, and it is a story in, what God, in which God is writing some things into your life and orchestrating some events that you, that you can use for his own glory. Um, I, I can remember when I was a teenager growing up and hearing these earth-shattering testimonies of people who were in drugs and alcohol and all kinds of sorts of sins and thinking, well, I saved up five, I wasn't a druggie. Um, at five, I wasn't on the bottle, other than the, you know, sippy cup. You know, I mean, bottom line is I, I, didn't, I didn't have what I call a flashy story. And really, God began to show me that God saves some people out of some things, and he saves some people from some things. And I just happened to be in the latter, but the miracle is that God saves, right? And so I was pretty excited about that. And so uh, in my story, I know that God orchestrated some things that, you know, I think have been very important in my life. So it's, uh, God may not work in the same way in your story as he did in mine. Number two, I don't expect you to have the same response to God's working as I did. Um, I, would, I would suspect, though, that you would want to obey God should he call you to live a certain way, be a certain way, or do a certain thing. I would expect that much. Uh, he may not use the same events, but should he work in your life to respond in a certain way, I would expect that you would want to do that. Uh, thirdly, God may never call you to serve in the same capacity as he has called me to serve, but you should be willing to serve should he call you. Um, I think so often when you say to God, well, if God calls me, I'll do this or that. Just consider yourself called. Uh, and I'll talk about that a little bit more later. God doesn't give this mysterious uh, boom you know, to everybody under the sun that he wants, wants them to do something. Sometimes God just says, be faithful and serve where you are. But we wait for this mysterious call that's going to happen and you know, this certain set of events. And it's not just one or two or three. I mean, it's, it's a string of things that God's doing. And through that, I know that he's calling me to something. Don't look for the mysterious. Just be faithful day by day. And then lastly, please know my heart. I'm not trying to uh, set this mess message up as one that, oh, you should be like me type story. That's not my heart. I really want you to know that. My intent is to challenge you to live as Jesus Christ would have you to live. Um, and I'm going to ask you a series of questions in the end that kind of maybe between you and God will help you uh, to know whether or not you're really living the life that God's wanting you to live. But as I think of this phrase, one life to live, one life to give, we have to come to this understanding that life is not about us. We say it all the time. We've been saying it for years now. Life is not about me. It's all about him. 
So the reality is, is our life has to reflect that. In one way or another, it can't be about me. If it is, you're missing the point of what God has designed you for, what he's created you for, and his purpose is in that. So as we get started, I just want you to understand, this is my story, and I think it kind of ties into where, where, where I believe God is calling me to challenge you in this new year and uh, how we ought to live for him. So I want to take a moment and just pray, and then we'll get into the message here. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to come before you. And I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. I ask God that you would challenge us, but not only challenge us, change us, Lord. And Lord, might we be effective in this life that you've called us to, Lord, to serve you, to bring glory to you. And Lord, to share our faith with those around us. We pray that you might, uh, Lord, just do what only you can do through your Holy Spirit's leading. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, years ago, when I was in seventh grade, I went on my first mission trip. And my first mission trip was to go to Canada. And from Minnesota, we used to leave the Twin Cities areas, go up Highway 65, and we would travel for roughly eight, nine hours, and we would arrive at a place called Denoric, Ontario, Canada. And uh, for the lack of a better picture in your mind, it is out in the middle of nowhere. Um, we had Denoric, which had a little Indian reservation there, and a couple post office boxes out in the middle of the woods that people sometimes, once in a while, once every three months, checked. It's crazy. It's out in the middle of nowhere. Um, but that's what God used in my life to start me down a path that he had for me. Um, this place was called Camp of the Woods. And uh, Camp of the Woods was a, uh, a, a hub, an outpost, so to speak, to, for some missionaries from BIMI who would, who would go into the bush and, and work with the, the Indians um, the Native American Indians there in, in Canada. And uh, so I ended up going there for several years, but that was my first mission trip. So what they would do is they'd have three weeks a year, two weeks in the beginning of summer and one week at the end of the summer, those three weeks, they would bring in teams from all over the United States, and we would go in there and get the camp ready for the weeks of ministry to the Native American Indian kids. So uh, what we would do is we'd go in there and cut, split, stack wood. We would you know maintain the property, get everything ready, and then we'd go out and do some... Uh, ministry on the reservations and so forth. It was just a unique place, but God really opened my eye to a world other than my own during that. Uh, I can remember as a seventh grader um, on that one Friday going into Sioux Lookout, Ontario, and seeing a guy on the corner just going, and I'm like, what in the world's going on with this guy? And uh, of course, the, the the missionary looked at me and he says, well, that's from a life of sniffing gasoline. You know, there was no marijuana, there was not cocaine, there wasn't whatever, they had gas. And they would sniff gas, and they would see imaginary things, and they would, you know, like, it's like they were trying to get them, and the, the swatting flies that weren't there, and all kinds, it was just all kinds of things. Their brains were just, you know, messed up from sniffing gas, and I thought to myself, this place is crazy. And I used to see, you know, you know homes, and as I got to go there more often and more often over the years, I'd see homes where there, you know, some of the... Mothers had eight, nine, ten kids, and a lot of them would sleep outside. I mean, that was their year-round, sleeping outside, say, zero degrees. Yeah, a lot of them, they were out in the shed. I mean, they had big sleep, sleeping bags and blankets. And, you know, you know, on the reservations there in Canada in those days, I don't know if it's still that way today, but years ago when I was in seventh grade, there was a monthly government check, a reservation check. They would come, it would get there the first of the month. By that Monday, it was gone. Draw, I mean, mostly alcohol and, and, and just blown it away. And uh, so we learned that there is a world outside of what I grew up in that needed Jesus. And I thought to myself, this is crazy. 
But, uh, you know, that was my first one-week experience. And then I went back the second year, and the second year that I went back on that mission trip, God did a work in my life. Um, as I was in that chapel that night, um, I can remember Garland Cofield preaching and basically saying, uh, preaching on Joshua and Caleb, and uh, the title of the message was, Give Me That Mountain. And I remember thinking that very night that, you know, as, as Garland was preaching, he says, God is looking for men who will take a stand, men who will serve God, men who will step out and say, I'll do whatever you call me to do. I had no clue what that meant in my life in those days. I had no clue. But I knew that as an eighth grader, listening to that message, that it might as well have been an empty lodge, an empty chapel. It was as if Garland was standing up here and God was speaking through him to me as if nobody else was in there. And he's saying, Ken, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? I want you. And I just sat there and thought, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'm in eighth grade. What does that even mean? What does that even look like? Um, All I know is that night I said, okay, God, you got me. All of me. I walked out of the chapel, walked back down to the lake, and there was a big pine tree that overflowed part of the water, and there was a big stone there. And I lifted up the branch, crawled underneath it, and I said, okay, God, I'm yours. That was it. I don't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know where it was going to go. I didn't know what was going to happen. But I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. From that point on, God owned my life. That was it. It was no flashy this, flashy that. It was no mysterious call. He just said, God, I want you, Ken. I want you. And I said, okay, you got it. And so that day, it was a commitment that I will never, ever forget. I can remember it like it happened 30 seconds ago. I walked out after I got done praying, and I walked to lift up that branch and came back out, and I said, okay. And I was just like, wow, I feel different. <laughs> what's, what's, what's going on here? Where's everyone at? And uh, everyone else has gone to play, and I was still praying. <laughs> and, um, but that started something that day. It started something. I remember getting back and uh, back from that week of mission mission trip, and I went up to my youth pastor and I said, "I think God's called me to preach. He's called me to ministry." And my youth pastor looks at me and he goes, "Really?" He goes, "You serious about this?" And I said, "Yeah." He goes, "Good. Let's get started." And I'm like, uh, "Okay." Um, so eighth grader came back to church, and every Sunday morning I started teaching the three and four year olds. He goes, "You're, gonna, you're in ministry. You're going to start right now." I'm like, okay. I had no clue what I was doing. I was in eighth grade. But for the next several years of junior high and high school, I been, began teaching every, every week. Um, I was in junior church teaching the kids that were younger than me. Did that all through high school. Um, my youth pastor was the one that taught me how to preach. I didn't learn that in college. Uh, I went to his class, or went to his office every, like, three days a week during school. And I'd go to his office, and he'd give me this book, and he said, "This, you know, work on an outline. Uh, no, that, that's not going to work. Redo it. <laughs> and uh, he'd help me check my thinking as I was going through it. I remember going to college as a freshman, taking expository preaching and, and homiletics, and thinking, these guys are all griping and complaining. This is easy. I'd already learned before I got there. My youth pastor taught me. And, um, but it, was, it started a process of saying, okay, God, you, you got me whatever you want, and started taking every opportunity. And my youth pastor looked at me and said, if God's called you to preach, don't ever turn down an opportunity. 
Oh, is that a scary loaded question? Over the next several years, man, how many? We drove hours to preach for a $25 check because there's an opportunity, and I was told never to turn one down. So I did. I went. And uh, over the years, we started doing all kinds of things like that, just taking every opportunity that God gave us. And, um, but I remember growing up, it was, it was hard. It was hard from this perspective. I had a hard family life. Um, it wasn't normal. I don't know what normal is anymore. Um, my dad was in the hospital a lot, as I said many times. But here's what happens. There's kind of a chain events that happen. And we kind of, if we're not careful, allow those chain event, event of circumstances to distract us from what God has for us. Um, my dad's issues were medical. Um, I don't know. I know they're out there somewhere, but I don't know personally somebody who's went through more than my dad went through. Um, 15, 16 back operations, five bypass heart surgery, a toe amputation, foot amputation, leg amputation, um, eye surgeries galore. Um, I mean, he had surgeries all the time. And I remember thinking, this really stinks. Only I didn't use those words when I was a kid. Um, I was mad at God. I was mad. Why, why do I have to do this and go through this? It's not fair. It's not right. Why should I have to deal with this? I want a real home. Um, in those days, medical problems really meant financial problems. I mean, they had my dad by the neck. You know, my dad could not leave in those days his insurance company. Um, he was hooked because of the injury that he went through, because of the damages that was, that was done, he was hooked. And it seemed like every three months, the premiums are going up. Every three months. It seemed like another bill, another bill, another bill, another bill, another bill. So we grew up having very little, which is fine in the big picture. God knows what he's doing. I'm not, that's not the point of the story. But here is the point. Those issues that kept coming into our life, all they did is create more burdens and more frustrations and more frustrations and more frustrations and if you're not careful, the frustrations can lead to insulation or isolation. And that's what happened in our home. There were days that my mom worked so many hours to help because of my dad's handicapped uh, state that, you know, we get to the point where we're just isolated from anyone else out there because you're just so frustrated and tired. Or you become insulated from anything else going around you and we just want to stay inside and not have to deal with the real world out there. And it was hard. And I didn't think that was fair. I didn't think that was right. Why should I have to go? It's not my fault he had problems, right? I mean, it's his problem. It's not mine. Well, guess what? I'm part of the family. Just like you're part of the family that has problems because there's no perfect people, right? But we grew up in a, in a circumstance that was like, man, how can, you know, as, as it was said of Jesus, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can any good thing come out of that house? You know, that's what we felt like. You know, we were in a church where everybody else was perfect except for us. You ever had that feeling before? I mean, your parents smoked, their parents didn't. Your parents have messy house, your parents didn't. There's always a comparison, there's always a contrast, there's always look at this family, but look at everyone else. We were the isolated, you know, the ones that were kind of poked out at. And can any good thing come out of that family? You know, and out of the same family, four kids, and you know, a couple of us were rebellious and a couple of us are in ministry. It's just the way it worked. But it was hard. And I say, over and over, I griped like a little girl because I didn't like it. But then God began to do a work and say, you know what? This is not a mistake. This is not a mistake in your home. God has you there for a reason. And I can remember the very first time that I went to a nursing home. And I'm just telling you, I hate nursing homes. I'm just telling you, I, I can't stand them. 
We grew up going to the nursing home every Thursday night at our church. The youth group did. And every Thursday night, we'd walk up and down the hallways and walk, you know, this and that and the other thing, and we'd see the smell, the stench, the stains, the everything. But we'd go there and minister and serve and sing, and then we'd go from room to room and try to encourage the residents. And I grew up despising that, not because I didn't like the people. I love sitting down here in their stories. They had some incredible stories to learn from. And I think that's actually a lost opportunity that we don't avail ourselves to. But listening to all their stories, there was something that happened within me that, that created a fury at times. I'd see this problem and that problem and this problem and that problem. And I remember growing up as an 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th grader thinking to myself, I ain't putting up with this crap. My dad's in the hospital, which was most of my childhood. I went behind the nurse's station and took whatever blankets and whatever else I wanted. What are they going to do, stop me? I mean, I was 6'2 six, six and benching 300 pounds as a junior. They ain't going to stop me. They said, what are you doing? I said, I'm, getting, I'm doing your job because you won't. I, just how I thought. I'm taking care of my dad, right? So um, all of a sudden, that anger that I had for people not doing their job with my dad was like, give me a little bit of boldness to help out all these residents. <laughs> I started going behind their nurse's station and grabbing what I needed to help these residents. And all of a sudden, God just began to show me, see, it wasn't a mistake. Everything you went through was for a purpose. Because he said all things work together for good. To them that are called, to them that love God, are called according to his purpose, right? Every experience that I had as a kid was being played out as a youth pastor going to nursing homes. And as a teenager going to nursing homes. And understanding how this all works. And uh, God just said, see... Had a reason for what you went through. Had a reason. So you could take your experiences and use them in ministry later. And uh, I didn't understand that at first. So what God had to teach me is that I don't have to understand everything that he's doing to be faithful and obedient to it. We want to, though, right? And that our nature? We want to understand what God's doing before we do it, before we go all in, before we commit to it. But I know that in my family it was hard. I didn't think it was fair. But... I will say this. I pray I never forget my past. I pray I never forget it. I pray that God always allows me to remember what we grew up in so that I don't cast judgment on others and stereotype others who may be going through what I grew up in. So easy to do, isn't it? We see somebody, we see the car they're driving, we see the clothes they wear, we see how they talk, and immediately we have in our mind what we think is all the facts. And I think to myself at times, that was my family. That's what we went through. And I'm thankful for what God has done. A couple things about that mission trip to Canada I want to come back to just for a moment. It's where God called me to preach and where the confusion of my life's calling clarified my day-to-day and future actions. Why? Number one, I'll, I never worried about what I was going to do one day. Never. From eighth grade on, I never worried. I'm, I wonder what I'm going to do after college, or I mean after high school. Hmm. Hmm. I have no idea. Well, I could do this or this or this. I never worried about it. Never had a thought. I knew as soon as I graduated, going to college. That's it. What was I going to do college? Study for ministry. Period. There was no confusion. Not one ounce it was just that clear. 
Um, number two, I figure from that point on, life is about open doors. Walk through the doors that God opens for you. Don't try to kick the doors down that aren't. It's so easy to say, wow, well, I want this door to open because I really am interested in this field, and, but you know, I just don't see how it's going to work. I don't see how it's going to play out. And we, but I really want to go there. So when the doors don't open, we start kicking them in. And we start giving them a shoulder. Because one way or the other, we're determined to get through that door. If God wanted the door open, he'd open it. But what I learned as a teenager and coming into my young adult years is that God's going to open some doors and he's going to close some doors. And if he opens it, walk through it. If he doesn't, don't try barge it open. And that applies to so many areas of life. And number three... I didn't have to know where I was going to say yes. Because I'm just telling you, I thought it was going to be a bunch of different directions. When I was in high school, I, I was just convinced, I was absolutely convinced that God was going to call me as a missionary and I was going to go somewhere and serve as a mission, mission, on the mission field somewhere. Which my wife had to come to grips to because she didn't want to marry a missionary at first. But God got a hold of her. That's all right. God worked that out. Um, but she was convinced I was going to go. I still might. I don't know. I'm open to whatever God wants. But the reality is that's what I thought I was going to do. Well, then, as college came along, I spent my senior year working at a boys' home. And as we say at the boys' home, the boys weren't there because their halos were shining too bright. They were there because they were disobedient and parents didn't know what to do with them. So my senior year of Bible college, I lived 20 miles off campus at a boys' home, and I was their adult leader, so to speak, I lived in the rooms with them, wrestled them, and uh, had all kinds of fun with them, but that was my job. So as I was coming to the end of my senior year, we were working with two different families who said, we want to open a boys' home, one in Massachusetts, one somewhere else. And we are like, oh, great, God's already opening the door for what we want, for what, you know, he's laid on our heart to do, work with family ministry and boys' home and everything else, and we are like, planning on it. You know, people are coming up to us and say, hey, are you interested in this? Like, no, we're going to be working at a boys' home, you know, blah, blah, blah. And about two months before school was out, those doors started to close. And a bunch of other opportunities started coming. So we had like four or five opportunities on the, on the table, what we were going to do after Bible, or after Bible college was over. One of them, I, I can't even remember what they all were. There are several different ones. But here's what I began to tell people. Hey, if you want and believe that we're supposed to be with you in your ministry, you pray that God will shut every other door. I took the responsibility off me. <laughs> you pray. And if I'm supposed to be there, God will shut every other door and leave this one open. So that's what we started telling everybody. We had four or five options. I said, you, you pray. Well, we're going to pray, but you pray. And once you know it, as school was coming to an end, one by one, the doors started closing. This one didn't work. This one, for whatever reason, didn't work. This one, they chose to hire someone else. Sweet. Awesome. Just clarified my path. Not supposed to go there. Little by little, the door starts shutting. The one door that was left open. Wow! It was the first guy that I said, "If I'm supposed to come here, you pray that God will shut every other door." And he looks at me and goes, "I want you to be a school teacher." And I'm like, "What in the world are you talking about, a school teacher? Are you kidding me right now?" He goes, "Can you teach the Bible?" And I said, "I think so." He goes, "Well, good. I can teach you to teach everything else." It's a Christian school, and I'm like, "Are you serious right now?" It was the door God left open for us to walk through. And year two, as we came to signing our contracts, he goes, he hands me my contract. He goes, you going to sign it for another year? 
I said, on one condition, actually two, get me out of English no matter how you have to do it. I want out of English. He goes, okay, we can work on that. He goes, anything else? I said, yes, I do not want to lead the choir anymore. Never. He goes, I'll do that one if you take on girls varsity basketball. No. Yeah, I end up teaching or coaching girls varsity basketball. End up shaving my head over that one. Not cool. Um, but it's open doors. End up teaching for a few years. Experiences along the way. God opened the doors that he wanted me to walk through. It says in our text, Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. I just believed that when I went to Canada for that very first time, that plaque that was in the center of the chapel wall was Psalm 37, 23. And it just simply said, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. God doesn't say, well, I'm going to have you do this, even though you're going to hate it. I don't believe that for a minute. I would rather take a whole lot less money and do what I love than to make a whole lot more and be miserable. But I do believe that when you're in the center of God's will, He'll give you joy in doing what you're doing. I'm just telling you as I stand here today, there's nothing else I'd rather, rather do than be a pastor. Nothing. There's no amount of money that could get me to go do something else, although it would be tempting at times. There's no question about it. Just like you would be tempted. But I know where God has for me. I know where he has for me to be. Teaching children's church, preaching in the youth group, mission trips, hands-on experience for future ministry. I know that God has used every open door that he's had me to walk through for a very specific reason. And that has been to serve him. To follow him. To be obedient to him. Each step, and I think I can say for each of us, that we have, me and Don have taken has been for a purpose. Though we couldn't always see what that purpose was. There have been times I didn't know what the purpose was. I had no idea. Why did God have for me to do this? Why did he want me to do that? I didn't know. I just knew that he was opening a door. I can remember each step that we've made. I wanted, when I first started out in ministry, I wanted a 30-year church. I really did. I wanted to be someplace for 30 years like my pastor did. And I remember taking my first church and thinking to myself, um, what am I doing here? Um, what in the world? I was a youth pastor, loving it, enjoying it, part of a nice-sized church that was comfortable and enjoying ministry. And this yo-yo from 55 miles away kept calling me and saying, hey, can you fill pulpit? And I, finally, I looked at him like the fourth call. I said, I said, what are you thinking? I said, i got my own responsibilities every Sunday morning. What do you think? I'm just going to not teach my youth one day and just go to the other? I said, come on. Why do you keep calling me? I'm not even a pastor. I'm a youth pastor. I said, leave me alone. And he calls again the next week. Okay, Lord. <laughs> so I went to my pastor and I said, um, this guy keeps calling me. He goes, yeah, I know. He asked me if he could. I said, what would you tell him? He goes, I told him he could. He said, you do whatever God wants you to do. I said, jerk. Um, so uh, I ended up going there one Sunday. And as I say, the rest is history. And God worked there and taught us there, and we grew there in Tippecanoe. And um, it was a great opportunity where God used us. But every step that we've taken 
we believe has been from God saying, take this step. He'll make it clear. He always has. He always will. He, he opens doors. He shuts doors. He causes circumstances that take place that force you in a direction sometimes. But I don't have to know where he's going to say yes. I don't. My wife will tell you, I'll go somewhere on a dime. I, I, I'll turn on a dime. I don't, I don't care. I'm not, there is nothing in this life that I'm just so attached to that I just can say, oh, I can't do it because of this. I have no attachments. I don't. My greatest attachment would be my kids. But I don't feel like I have an attachment. There's nothing in this life that says, oh, I can't do this because of this. I could live in a trailer. We've done that. I have a 20-some foot trailer out there that used to have an RV on it that we knocked the RV part of it off, which was fun watching Jake do that. But I jokingly say that's my, that's my future uh, tiny home. So I can just go wherever, do whatever. Not getting rid of the trailer. No. I have no attachments. Adrian Rogers used to always say, and if you ever watch Adrian Rogers on TV, Love Worth Finding, he said, never use God's house as a stepping stone. I guess I'll do this until something better comes along. I guess I'll stay in this ministry, even though they don't pay much, until something better comes along. I'm just telling you. I don't care how greener the grass looks on the other side. No pastor leaves because everything's perfect. Trust me. I know what the struggles are here. I'd rather address them and stay here the rest of my life. That's what God has. It's going to take me another three years to find out what the problems are at that church and why he left. But it will come out. I love this family. So let me just share a couple of thoughts at this point. You might want to write this down. Being in the place where God wants you begins with having an open mind and an, open, an obedient heart. Being in the place where God wants you begins with having an open mind and an obedient heart. Here's why. If you're not open to any and every possibility that God may have for you to consider, you will never be in the center of His will. You say, well, that's pretty harsh. Yeah, it is. It really is. It's straightforward and it's truth. If you are not open to any and every possibility that God may have you to consider... You will never be in the center of his will. Why? Because if you're not willing to say, yes, God, I'll do that, you can't be in the center of his will. You have to have an open heart and an obedient mind, or an open mind and an obedient heart. You can't say, I'm in the center of God's will, but I'm not be willing to go here or there or there, or do this or this or this. They don't work together. You have to have those things work hand in hand in unity. God may never ask you to do this or this or this or go here or here or here. But you ought to be able, able to say, if he does, I will. And that may look very different for all of us. God may say, I want you to work in that factory. And you say, yes, Lord, I'll do that. I, I can't tell you how many times I've known people who are looking for jobs and they refuse to take the job because that's beneath them. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, seen that. But what if God has for you to be there for a reason, for a purpose? He has a plan to use you there. It might be that you get in there and you're not making very much, but because of your experience, you may rise. 
I know several of you in this auditorium started off with less money where you're at. And God quickly blessed you and raised you up to much more money because of your obedience. God does that. But it starts with having an open mind and an obedient heart. Are you willing to do whatever? And number two, staying in the place where God wants you requires consistent faith. Have you ever been in that situation in life where you say, man, I've been here for years and I just don't see what God's doing. I've been here for years and it seems like it's going nowhere. Been here for years and just the excitement's gone. I mean, nothing's happening. And you start to get a little bit restless. And you start looking over here and over there and over there because it might get better over there. It might be better over here. It might be different over here and I need something to kind of give me more excitement again. Staying in the place where God wants you requires consistent faith. Even in times that you can't see what God's doing, you've got to say, God, is there something I need to learn here? Something I need to do? Something I need to change? It starts with in, internal introspect. Because sometimes going somewhere or doing something else looks really appealing. But sometimes it takes greater faith to stay where he has placed you. And that's okay. I don't have to have bigger, better. I don't have to do this or this. I need to be faithful where God has me. I just say this to you. You can't straddle the fence forever. Sometimes we have this idea that I'll get more faithful later when things calm down. When does things ever calm down? I used to always say, you know, next week looks pretty good. You know, let's get together next week. And then all of a sudden, you know, Monday comes and it's like, how did this week fill up already? How does that happen? It just does. If you're not going to get serious now, don't, don't pretend and kid yourself that you're going to get serious later. Because you're just lying to yourself. It's not going to happen. Later doesn't come. Like, I'm going to lose that 15 pounds later? Come on. It's either get serious or don't. I'm going to read the Bible and study and pray more later when I have more time, when things aren't as chaotic. It's always going to be chaotic, so what are you going to do? What if this is as good as it gets? What if your everyday norm is as good as it gets? What are you going to do differently? Because there's no guarantee it's going to change. In fact, I find that things don't get less busy, they get more busy. Anyone else found that out? I want to read this letter. I came across this letter years ago in a devotional written by a young communist to his fiancée. And uh, it was his explanation of why he was breaking off his marriage. So, here goes. It says, we communists have a high casualty rate. We are the ones who get shot and hung and ridiculed and fired from our jobs and in every other way made as uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us get killed or are imprisoned. We live in virtual poverty. We turn back to the party every penny we make above what is absolutely necessary to keep us alive. We communists do not have the time or the money for movies, concerts, T-bone steaks, decent homes, or new cars. We have been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world communism. We communists have a philosophy of life which no amount of money can buy. We have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose in life. 
We subordinate our petty personal selves to a great movement of humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard or our ego appears to suffer through subordination to the party, then we are adequately compensated by the thought that each of us in a small way is contributing to something new and true for a better mankind. There is one thing I am in dead earnest about, and that is the communist cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, and my bread and meat. I work at it in the daytime and dream of it at night. Its hold on me grows, not lessens as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating it to this force with which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, books, ideas, and actions according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude towards it. I've already been in jail because of my ideals, and if necessary, I am ready to go before a firing squad. So for these reasons, he broke off his engagement. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Think about that for a moment. What is it that we are committed to? What is it that we're committed to? You have one life to live and one life to give. What are you giving it to? We can all think of the big picture of a pie and the little slices. I mean, you've got to have a portion for work because I've got to provide for my family and so forth. I've got to have a portion for family time and hobbies and interests. And I've got to have a little slice for fill in the blank. I don't think God should get a slice of our pie. I think he deserves the pie. Sounds good in theory, right? I mean, I, I'm hard because life happens we get serious later get more committed later i'll do that later and later doesn't come i mean how many of you find that life slows down as you get older you look back in a couple years and you say man where did time go i mean goodness i was thinking i was talking with don here not too long ago i said man just since we've come here we've seen the mitchell kids born we've seen the titus kids born we i mean all these old kids are all of a sudden they're running around they're like they're sprouting up and getting big and tall. I was like, man, when did that happen? Life just like goes flying by. The older, the, 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 the older we get, the faster it goes. He used to tell me that when I was in my 20s. I'm like, yeah, okay. And now it just screams by. We were just here in church last Sunday, which was like two days ago. I mean, how'd that happen? But don't kid yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Don't deceive yourself and say, I'll do it more better later. It won't happen. Either make the commitment and do it or don't. But don't straddle the fence. You can't stay on the, on the, on the, on the tightrope forever. I mean, think about it. How many of you have ever been in one of those little carnival games where it's only 12 foot wide and 6 inches off the ground and you're trying to walk across it? You can't stay on it forever. You've got to choose what side you're going to be on. You have one life to live, one life to give. And we're all going to give it to somebody or something. Where does God fit into this? 
As I said before, I'm not really preaching today. I just want to share the stories. But what's your story? Is it a story of one day, I will, or is it a story of I'm doing? And God is so working in and through our circumstances. I, I think of this story, and I love that part where he says, we are fanatics. People think we're fanatics. We're, we are. We're fanatics. And he says, is there, we have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose. Let me ask you a question. As a child of God, do you not have a cause? Some of you do. There you go. Do you not have a purpose to live for? What is that cause? What is that purpose? I mean, this, this communist cause affected every aspect of his life. He says, I am in dead earnest about this. He says, a hold on me grows, not lessens over time. I daydream about it during the day. I, I dream about it at night. What consumes us? Seriously. It's just a question. So, all of us are committed to something or someone. So here's four questions I'd like you to consider regarding your own life and the commitments that you have made while we speak on this subject the next couple of weeks. Four questions. Number one, are you satisfied and happy with your level of commitment to Jesus Christ? If you are, things won't change. If you're satisfied, content with where you're at, nothing's going to change. But are you? Or if you're honest with yourself, can you say, yeah, things need to change. I'm not happy with where, where I'm at. Are you happy, satisfied with your level of commitment to Jesus Christ? Number two, do you feel a sense of fulfillment with your level of satisfaction or commitment to Jesus Christ? Yeah, what does that have to do with anything? I don't know about you, but I'm not satisfied. I don't, I don't feel a sense of satisfaction because there's so much to do. And we have such little time to do it. If you're satisfied, nothing's going to change. If you're happy where you're at, nothing's going to change. And if we're not willing to change, something's wrong. Number three. Here's a key one. Are you open and willing to let God redirect you in some areas? Because if you're not open to any and all the possibilities of God wants to do in your life, you'll never be in the center of his will. Are you open and willing to letting God redirect you in some new areas? If you're not, you really need to pray about that. You see, because life is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about him. I used to, honestly, if my brother's watching this, oh well. My brother was the perfect one. Anybody have a perfect sibling? I mean, he's good at everything. I only beat my brother at two things in my lifetime. Getting married and having kids. He's beat me in every other area. I got him on those two areas, and he can't change it. I mean, my brother was the kid who, as we had sit down to play video games, he'd never played that game before in his life, and he'd kill me at it. The kid's lucky. 
beat me at everything. I grew up in that shadow of thinking I always had to do a little bit better, a little bit more, a little bit, you know? Are you, let, are you willing and open to letting God redirect you? And then number four, will you commit to praying daily for God to speak to you no matter what? Will you commit to praying daily for God to speak to you no matter what? If you're not willing to pray about it, well, nothing's going to change. They all work hand in hand. All these things work hand in hand. Will you commit to praying, saying, God, is there some things in my life that need to change? Are there some things that need to change? Is there things that you're trying to do in me, Lord, that I have not been open to? Are we willing to do that? Will you commit to praying? Say, so, is that really a big deal? Yeah, it is. Because it starts with saying, God, I want you to do something. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at. You have one life. The world would say, okay, you got one life. Live it for number one. Make the most of it. Have all the fun and experiences and good times you can have. Then what? I've just found in ministry it's not easy. It's never easy. God didn't call us to easy. I think there's any number of one, any number of us in this auditorium would say, "I'd like to have a little bit e more easy, a little bit more ease in this area, or ease in this area." I'm just telling you. I mean, who doesn't want a car that runs good every time you get in it, but you're stuck with what you got because you can't afford anything else? Who wouldn't like a little bit more clothes? I mean, just clothes, but who wouldn't want them, right? I mean, it's clothes. It's a thing. It's an object. It's what you like. Who wouldn't like a little bit more space in your house or maybe even a smaller house? But you want something different because it's just not quite what you want. Anybody like to have a little bit longer vacation? A little bit better vacation? Go on that cruise? Hit, hit, hit Acapulco or whatever it is? I don't know. I mean, who, 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 and they're not bad things. They're not. In themselves, all those things are good things. But if that's what we live for, if that's what drives us, something's out of kilter. Because all that stuff should be secondary and subjective to what God has for you. You say, well, Pastor, that's easy for you. You're a preacher. That's what you're supposed to be. Really? Because I'm first human. I have to tell you, that church that called me, the first church that I pastored in Tippecanoe, Indiana, I walked into a room full of people. I didn't know any of them from Adam. And uh, there are all the pleasantries are out of the way, blah, 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 blah. Tell us this, tell us that, what do you believe, what do you believe? All that was out of the way. And finally, uh, one of the ladies uh, that was in there, there was like, you know, eight guys and three ladies, whatever. And she goes, so tell us, what are some of the things that you struggle with? I'm like, really? You're going to go there already? You don't even know me yet. So I thought for a second, I said, well, if you make me mad, I'm going to deck you. And she goes, I said, relax, I'm just kidding you. I'm just, I'm just, I'm not really that guy. I said, but here's the deal. You just have to know that I'm imperfect. If you cut me, I bleed red like you. I'm human. I'm not perfect, and I won't be perfect as your pastor. 
as you all well know. That's not going to happen. We all have flaws. We all have struggles. We all have things that we need to work on. But you have one life to live and one life to give. What are you going to use it for? What are you going to use it for? If you don't want to use it for God, then just go on your merry way and do whatever it is you're doing. But you have to ask yourself, is it the life that God has for you to live? Let's pray.